Amen. He is indeed worthy. Amen. You may be seated. What a wonderful day, a great Lord's Day. So nice to start off worship with a cold, invigorating baptism. Y'all probably thought that was the fastest baptisms you've ever seen. (laughs) Well, today is a... uh, a new series day. We begin a new series this morning, and we're going to be continuing in our, our overarching series, our meta-series on the life of David, but I'd like to take a little break here and there, do some fun stuff, and this series is entitled The Grand Finale. That's right, The Grand Finale. We're going to be going all the way to the end, all the way to the end, all the way past the reign of Christ. All the way past Armageddon, all the way past the great white throne judgment to the grand finale. And we're going to meditate on it. We're going to look at it and look into it probably two Sundays. We'll see. We'll see. If, uh, if you really enjoy it and you send me some emails, maybe we'll go three or four Sundays, but at least two Sundays. The grand finale. And I think this is important to look into for many, many reasons. But just something I, I was looking into this week and studying. My kids at, uh, at Christ Church Academy are reading a, a novel called 1984. Anybody here heard of that? It's a novel and a book, 1984. It's a dystopian novel about really the end of civilization where communistic, um, authoritarian, totalitarian doctrines have taken over a society and hope is lost. And one of the things that struck me in the novel was that Big Brother slogan, one of Big Brother's slogans, Big Brother is the, is the tyrant, the nickname for the tyrant. One of the slogans was, ignorance is strength. Now, I, I had to look into that. Ignorance is strength. And, and me and the students, we spoke about it quite a bit. Um, and what it really means is that ignorance of the population was strength for the tyrant. You know, ignorance was strength for keeping society stable, right? The same kind of idea was uh, practiced very often in slavery. Oftentimes, slaves would be kept intentionally ignorant, especially ignorant of the hope-filled gospel. You see, because knowledge is what? Power. You know what's more powerful than knowledge? Hope. See, tyrants have always known, slave drivers have known, you know, evil um, wardens have known that what you want to do to keep someone under your thumb, to keep them from getting uppity, keep them in their place, is you keep them from hope. Ignorance is strength. No hope, no knowledge, no power. And honestly, I see in those two examples an analogy for the church, by and large these days. The church has been kept ignorant. We know this. You know, we've, we know the stories of the Middle Ages where it was uh, forbidden to translate the Bible into the common tongue. Right? People were burned at the stake for that sort of rebellion. We know how um, false shepherds and false teachers obviously cloud the scriptures and the Satan, Satan blinds the mind of those who don't believe so that they cannot hear the scriptures. You know, 
there are a lot of forces at work in our world which keep the people of God under the thumb of tyrants. Tyrants in our own hearts and tyrants in our world. There are forces which would distort the Bible, confuse the Bible, cloud the Bible, and keep us ignorant. And honestly, in my own personal experience, when it comes to the grand finale, what happens at the very end? People are dramatically ignorant. I have been shocked over the years to find that there are Christians in Bible-believing, Bible-thumping churches that don't actually know that one day they will be raised from the dead. Have you ever come into contact with Christians like that? Well, to be really honest with you, I can remember when it dawned on me. And I wasn't very young. I can remember growing up with just an ignorance of the grand finale. And that ignorance strips you of hope, strips you of knowledge, strips you of power, keeps you in your place. Well, I want to, you know, peel back the curtain just for two Sundays and I, hopefully I'm not going to just tell you everything you already know, right? But I want, to, I want to expose for you what the Bible clearly says about what it's going to be like in the very, very, very end. Amen? Amen? Anybody here ever, ever thought, I hope Jesus doesn't come back too soon because I'd like to be married first at least. Anybody thought, I never thought that, but I hear that girls think that often. I thought, I hope Jesus doesn't come back too soon because I want a chance to play in the NFL. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. I have a, a friend who said he dreaded the idea of going to heaven because he didn't really like church that much. And he thought, Is he, are they just going to sing forever? But he consoled himself by thinking, at least there'll be breaks. You know, every once in a while, we'll get an intermission and I'll get to play with my friends. These are, these are thoughts that people who grow up in church have. It's really strange how ignorant we are of such good news, such glorious grandeur and good news. So before we get into our text, let's pray. Father, we ask, I ask above all that you would bless your people this morning. Curse everything in us and around us that is against you and bless your people. Bless our lives, our work, bless our week, bless our budget, bless our family, bless our friends. Bless us through the preaching of your word, we ask. In Jesus Christ's name, and all who agree, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Revelation 21, verse 1, a vision from John the Apostle. Then I, that's John, saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What a majestic vision. Wow. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is the vision's narrator, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. Amen. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, not even crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. Wow. Just reading it alone is encouraging. Well, today I just want to cover verse 1. Verse 1. Next week, verse 2. Probably. We'll see how this goes. But first, look at verse 1. We're going to walk through this a little bit. You can see here that it's a vision. The book of Revelation is a series of visions, and you have to look at it that way. You have to interpret it that way. You have to understand that John is seeing a picture. Now, is that picture figurative? Well, definitely, yes. But is that picture literal? Maybe. There's arguments on both sides of that. We're not exactly sure. But it's definitely figurative and we can pull meaning from it. And it might be literal. But even if it's not literal, it's going to be way more than the analogy. You understand? You see, the, the reality is always much more grand than the type or the symbol. But we can't go wrong looking at it and learning from it and meditating on it. <laughs> this is the reason why it's given to us. Because in this day and age, the church was under great persecution, and many people were falling away. And so God sends to John a revelation of the grand finale to embolden the people, to encourage the people, to help the people take risks and be strong in their faith. Amen? And it can do the same thing for us. But it is a vision, and we have to not only read it, but you kind of have to read it with your mind's eye, like you're seeing a picture. He sees, what is it that he sees right out of the gate? He sees a new heaven and a new earth. <coughs> Excuse me, I had that coming off that cold that everybody's been having. He sees a new heaven and a new earth. Hmm. Now, where does that bring us to? That should immediately, if you know your Bibles, bring up Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the, well, that's John 1.1, but Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And in the end, God creates the heavens and the earth. It's very interesting. It's the bookmark or the bookends of the Bible. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And then John sees a vision of a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation, a new creation. Wow. But it's not totally new, and this is very important to understand. And this is not debatable. Um, this is common to all Christianity throughout for thousands of years. It's not totally new. Now, the reason I have to say that for, is for a lot of reasons. But one, the word new in English doesn't quite catch the idea of kainos in Greek. This is not totally new. This is new, though. Right? Uh, and it's important to note this because listen to Psalm 78, verse 69. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. You see that? Very clear. Psalm 89, verse 37. <laughs> like the moon, it shall be established forever. Now, I discovered this verse two weeks ago. I'd always thought the moon would definitely not be here in the new heavens and the new earth. But it sure appears that there's going to be the moon. The moon. Um, Psalm 93, 1. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. You see the tension here. You know? Is it new or is it not new? 
How do you harmonize these verses? Well, it's very easy. It's renewed. It's renewed, right? Now, you say, Pastor, but it says very clearly in the text that the old things have passed away. And it is true that a lot of things have passed away, but not the earth, not annihilated, but rejuvenated. Right? Think about it. When someone dies in our family, what do we say? We say they have passed away. But have they gone out of existence? No. They have changed in the previous state or condition. See, that's what the word pass away means. It means that the old state or the old condition in which that person existed has passed away. But they still go on. Make sense? You say, but Pastor Brandon, I've read in various places in the scriptures that the earth is going to burn now, of course, we all grew up learning that, or at least I did. And, um, and there is a sense in which the world will burn, I think. I think. It's a complicated passage out of the book of First Peter, and the word is melted. The elements will melt. What in the world is Peter referring to? It's a, it's a difficult passage for sure. But it does seem at the end of time, or the end of time as we know it, in the creation of the new heavens and the new earth, there will be some sort of a fire, some sort of a purging, some sort of a melting Right? Paul says that whatever is of gold and of precious metals and silver, y'all know that passage, will pass through. So it's not a fire of annihilation, but it is some sort of a fire of purging, of purifying. And we know for sure that nothing that causes us to cry, right? Nothing that is remotely connected with death or the curse, none of those things will make it through the purging. Amen? All those things will have passed away and the earth will now be in a new state or a new condition wood hay and stubble what will happen to wood hay and stubble (coughs) it will be burned up right that which is done for the lord though what does the bible say it will pass through i think the best analogy really is the burning bush with moses you see the the fire of god consecrated the bush consecrated the ground so that he had to take his shoes off because he was on holy ground It renewed it, so to speak, removing from that area the curse. The curse. However, it did not consume the bush. The same is true of the fire which Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through. You remember the Christians passed through unscathed. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on their clothing. And who helped them pass through the fires? But the fourth man who looked like an angel. But as the guards... Right? The guards of Nebuchadnezzar approached the fire, they were consumed. So yes, there will be some sort of a purging, some sort of a divine, miraculous fire, not of annihilation, but as Augustine says, transmutation. That's a good word I learned this week, transmutation. Renovation, not annihilation, by God's glorious, majestic, good news fire. Good news fire. So when we think of the world's going to burn, we, yes, it's going to burn, but that which remains will remain, and all that is done for Christ will remain, and Christians will remain, but that which is dross will be purged away. Amen? That's, that's great news. But there's more than that. Not only will you and I make it through, but what we've done on earth for Christ will pass through this as well. There will be a great, what theologians call a continuity event, in which the full plan of God is totally and utterly consummated. The grand finale 
It will be a major discontinuity event. It won't be exactly like it is now. But we will pass through. But not only we, but what is done in this life for Jesus. The Bible says in Revelation 14, it says, Your works will follow you. Isn't that something? So how can our works follow us? I don't know, right? But I know the Creator knows. Your works will follow you. Your efforts in this life, you are not polishing brass on a sinking ship, as was taught to me as a kid. Very confusing. No, your efforts are not rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Your labors, your work will follow you. When you put in a good hard day's work for the Lord, serving Him, advancing His kingdom, serving your neighbor, that will follow you into the new world. Revelation chapter 14. Paul tells us that our labors are not in vain. That's right. Everything you do has meaning. Everything you do for the Lord will follow you for all eternity. It will never come to a stop. And you will reap the rewards of your life's labors forever. Now, what exactly is the connection between what you do in this life and the next life? I'm not exactly sure. No one's exactly sure. I don't think I'll be teaching the Bible. I don't know if that will be necessary, but maybe it will be. There's always something new to learn about God. Right? Maybe I'll be doing uh, home construction, working on people's mansions in far-off worlds. You know, I don't know. There'll be a lot of Christians. There'll be plenty of work to do. The Apostle Paul says, what we shall be has not yet appeared, right? except for a few visions we're given in the Bible. But he does say it's so amazing and so wonderful that the sufferings of this life aren't even worthy to be mentioned in the same sentence. Wow. There's more than this. Not only will your works follow you, not only will the earth and apparently the moon, but not the sea, which we'll talk about later maybe, but you too will be glorified. This body of of sickness, this body that has aches and pains, All those aches, all those pains will pass away. Amen. And you will receive an immortal body. A body likened unto our Lord. He says that the Spirit of God which raised Him from the dead is in you. Then you can be sure He will raise you up from the the dead on the last day. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25. Listen to this. Jesus must reign, present tense, He's reigning right now, until, here's our time word, He will reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. And that hasn't happened yet. We do not yet see that in reality. He has put a lot of enemies under his feet to some degree, but he hasn't put all of them under his feet. But once he has put all of them under his feet by his spirit and by his church, the last enemy to be defeated, to be destroyed is death. You know, death is last on the docket and Jesus will defeat it. And you will never again say goodbye to a loved one. You, you will never again have to cry the tears uh, uh, that you cry at a funeral. Death is our great enemy, Christ Church. And it will be gone forever and ever, cast into the lake of fire, purged by God's divine fire, never again to cause a tear. That is the hope of the saints, the resurrection from the dead, Christ Church. I can remember my, my, um, one of my daughters and uh, this is probably a surprise to her, me telling this story, but early in life, she, she was like her dad. She hated goodbyes. I hate goodbyes. And, uh, and, and, and the idea of someone dying and passing on into 
a new state. What a heartbreaking reality. And I remember she dealt with this often because we had chickens that would die every day. <laughs> we didn't know that our corgi was secretly assassinating all of them. We thought it was coyotes. We thought it was hawks. No, it was just the corgi. Um, one time a chicken, I, I just walked around the corner and the thing just died. It just, I scared it to death. It just fell over and died. It just died. And we had to have a funeral. And I told her that in the final state, after the grand finale, we will live on a new heavens and a new earth. And it will be an earth. And there will be chickens. God said in the Noahic covenant, he said he would never again destroy all the animals. I believe that. He would never again curse the earth on account of man. Now, he will purge it with some sort of miraculous good news fire. I don't exactly know how that works. But will there be dogs in heaven? Yes. Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) What about my own little pet? I sure do believe, and you can email me later if you'd like the text on that. But I do believe nothing which causes us to cry. No bad memories. All those things that would evoke tears in your eyes, gone. Hey, Rowdy. Number one and number two. (laughs) And he won't be misbehaving then. It'll be great. Yeah. My little daughter, she pulled up that chicken out of the tomb. And she cried over it. Dead little chicken. She pulled it out of the dirt. You know how I consoled her? The resurrection. No, Christ Church, our hope is not some ethereal world where we float like orbs of light. Or string harps with white wings. No, 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 no. No, no, it's the new heavens and the new earth. That is our final hope. The resurrection of the dead. Of us and all the chickens. Amen. When will that be, Pastor Brandon? John chapter 11, verse 24. And many other texts make it plain. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again. Speaking of Lazarus. In the resurrection... On the last day. On the last day. On the last day. That's when it will happen. Amen. What a glorious day that will be. But it's not just our bodies which will be glorified. And the earth which will be glorified. And the heavens which will be glorified. And all the animals which will be glorified. Not only all of that. And not even just our labors and our works which will somehow be transmutated by the glory of God. But it's also... All things, all things. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. And, and like, like a, a good batter in baseball, keep your eye on the ball. And the ball is all things. Keep your eye on that right there. For by him, say that with me, all things were created, first creation, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, that's referring to angels and demons probably, All things, there it is again, were created through him, that is through Jesus, and for him. Amen? But not only were they created the first time. Colossians 1.19 For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God became a man. And through him, who's the him? Jesus. To reconcile. To himself, say that with me, all things, whether on earth 
or in heaven. Same expression. You see, all things were created by Jesus through him and for him. Yet they fell. Because of man, because of sin, all things were alienated from Jesus. Y'all know the word alienation, to be uh, cast out, to be separated from, to be alienated. But Jesus Christ came into this world and became a man. For what purpose? That all things might be reconciled back to him. All things invisible and visible on earth or in heaven. All things. Poetry, music, dance, you and I, all things. Gardening, architecture, space travel, all things. Animals, plants, etc. reconciled back to him. Now, if you want some good reading for your Sabbath day this afternoon, read the rest of that passage and you'll see that he says, but you have already been newly created. You were the first fruits, in fact, of the new creation with the spirit of God dwelling inside of you. Look into it and you will see that the church is the foreshadowing of the grand finale and that the church is one of the means that God uses to continue to make all things new. It's a beautiful truth. Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. All things does not mean all people. And so this is a sober truth that we must recognize. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly and the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The meek... That is, those who willingly, faithfully submit to King Jesus will inherit the earth, the new earth. And all those who rebel against him will be taken away from the earth and placed into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So just to make this plain, to summarize this, I I want to give you something to hang your hat on. Here's a little analogy for you, and you can uh, think about this. You, if you are a Christian were regenerated a few years back, right? We don't exactly know when we are regenerated. Some people maybe have a a better guess than others. But to be regenerated by the Spirit of God, to be born from above, is an invisible thing. We don't precisely know when it happens, right? The Spirit moves where He wills. We see the effects of His movement, but we don't see Him. Amen? Like the wind, it blows where it wills. We see the trees swaying in the wind but we don't see the wind itself but if you love the lord if you are trusting in him and you have repented of sins then you were at some point in your life born again amen you were born from above that's right but then after having been born from above god began to work in your life didn't he that's right he sat on the throne of your heart that's an expression we often use He is your Lord. He is your King. His law is your guide for life. Amen? He is also your priest. You go to Him and confess your sins, and He cleanses you and forgives you. He's your prophet in that He teaches you the truth of Scripture and points and shows you the way. He is over your heart. Amen? He causes you to be born again. You repent. You believe. He sits on the throne of your heart, and He pours out His Spirit into your life. Does He not? And into your body. The Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, which proceeds from the Son, indwells you if you are a Christian. And what's he up to? 
He's busy. Oh, he's busy, isn't he? He's working to continue to sanctify you, causing you to be more and more holy as you repent and believe and follow the Bible. Amen? But then one day, the last day, says Martha, you will be raised up from the dead as an immortal human with a perfectly glorified body, heart, mind, soul, the you that God always had in his mind. Amen? Theologically, we say you were um, regenerated in the past, you're being sanctified in the present, and in the future, on the last day, you will be, who knows it, glorified. What Paul calls being saved to the uttermost. So you have been saved. Who's been saved? Amen. And you are being saved, and you will be saved. All right? Well, the same is true of the creation. The creation was regenerated many years ago, approximately 2,000 years ago. Um, Matthew 19, 28, if you'd like to look it up, it's called the regeneration of all things. Jesus Christ sat on the throne over the creation, just as he sat on the throne of your heart. And what else did he do? He poured out his spirit into creation. The spirit proceeds from the sun all over the earth. And he gives to his church, his bride, a commission to go, therefore, and baptize the nations and teach them to observe his law. So he regenerated the earth and the heavens, and he is currently working in it. As the Bible says, he is making all things new. But then one day in that grand finale, he will consummate his efforts. And you will be glorified, and the earth will be glorified. In the heavens, which may already be glorified, we're not sure, but he does say, pray that his will would be done on earth as it already is in heaven, and all the chickens will be glorified. And we'll get to it next week, but apparently we'll be walking on glorified gold, streets of gold, it says. Wow. But it's not exactly like the gold you know, because it's clear. You ever seen clear gold? I haven't. It's glorified gold. Interesting, right? Wow. So I hope that helps you understand. Look at Romans chapter 8, 19. Very clearly teaches this. Very clearly. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Are you awaiting the resurrection? Is that your hope? Right? Does that give you courage and strength? Right? Makes you stand up against the tyrants of this world, the ones in your heart and the ones out there, knowing that they lose and we win. Helps to know that. Have that hope in your heart right? But it's not just you. The creation's waiting too. The Bible says the creation is groaning, just as you groan on the inside. The creation waits for the eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That will happen on the last day. He goes on in verse 21, the creation itself will be set free, finally and ultimately. The creation has been regenerated, The Spirit has been poured out on it. Jesus sits over the throne of it. And Jesus is currently making all things new. Isaiah 65 talks about some of the ways that the world is being made new. And some of the ways we'll experience it being made new in the future. But here he's referring to the final and ultimate setting free of the heavens and the earth from the bondage to corruption. That is death. Amen? I hope that gives you you good news. When God told Abraham to leave her... You don't know the story, right? And go to a land that I will show you. That's what he's talking about. You say, ah, I thought he was talking about that land over there in Israel. That was just a token. That was just a type. 
That's the land that Abraham left Ur for. You see, if you can see this land in your heart and in your mind, if you can let it stir your imagination, even though we don't know that much about clear gold, but if you can let it stir your heart and your imagination, if you could see it with the eyes of faith, it will, it will initiate a change in your life as well. You too will leave Ur. Amen? When God said to Jacob that I will make you a company of nations, that is a multitude of nations, it's the multitude of nations that will be walking on this new earth. And maybe flying around heaven as well. Right? How do I know that? Look at verse 3 of our text. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, here's the narrator of the vision, Behold the dwelling place, that should be translated tabernacle. I don't know why they changed that. But the dwelling place of God is with man. He will tabernacle with them. So, by the way, when God said, no, Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle, these are the blueprints. He will dwell with them, and they will be his, and that should say, peoples. Peoples. See, he will be a company of nations and peoples, ethnic groups from all over the world, coming in from the four corners of the earth, a multicolored, multinational, trillions of people, I would say, on the new heavens and the new earth. The husband and his bride. And when he told Abraham, I will be God to you and to your offspring after you, this is where he finally, ultimately fulfills the promise. I think that could stir our hearts if we meditate on it. Amen, Christ Church. Let's all stand and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you give us power by your Spirit through this knowledge? Not pride, but power. Give us hope. Invigorate us to fight sin. If the new earth doesn't have sin in it, then we need to be working toward not having sin in our life. If the new earth has people of multi-ethnic backgrounds, then we need to be working in our life to get along with people who aren't like us. If the new earth has no more tears, Father, then help us to wipe away each other's tears. May this blueprint be a blueprint for our life. May it fill us with joy and hope. In Jesus Christ's name and all who agree, would you say amen? Amen. amen.